podcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So on today's show, we're going to give you uh, an update on um, what's going on in the investigation into the police killing of Patrick Leoa uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So a lot of people in Michigan have been talking about this. Uh, this story has made national news uh, this morning on Good Morning America. They did a segment on, on this uh, on this police killing. And um, he was originally from the Congo, Patrick Leoa. Um, and he was pulled over for a minor traffic stop, uh, minor, uh, what actually had the wrong license plate on the, uh, car. So it was a minor traffic stop and he ended up being shot in the back of the head. Okay. By a, uh, a white Grand Rapids police officer. Um, attorney Benjamin Crump was in, uh, the state of Michigan today, uh, in Grand Rapids for a, a rally for the family and calling for justice. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about that in uh, WXYZ channel 70 Detroit. They have a good article. They've been doing some good reporting on this as well. Um, and then I want to do uh, a update on what's going on with the reparations task force in California. So on Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday, April 13th, Thursday, April 14th, the members of the California uh, Reparations Task Force held a two-day uh, meeting um, at a historic African-American church in San Francisco. Um, and the, the meeting was at Third Baptist uh, Church. And this is to uh, map out uh, the next steps uh, when it comes to uh, the duties of the Reparations Task Force and making recommendations uh, for reparations for African-Americans in California who can prove um, their lineage to former enslaved African people in California. All right, so we'll talk about that and uh, we'll give a quick update on what happened uh, in the arraignment of Frank James today, uh, the Brooklyn, the alleged Brooklyn subway shooter. Okay, he was arraigned in court today. Uh, and then... Uh, April 12th, April 12th, 1787 was the founding of the Free African Society. Okay, the Free African Society um, founded by Richard Allen and Absalom Jones founded the Free African Society in Philadelphia. And this was a mutual aid society, the Free African Society. We're going to talk some about that history. Okay. And um, we'll also give you a preview of the uh, online class that I teach ancient, on Saturdays, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Okay. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you've been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right, so let's look at this story here. And when we come back from the break, um, I have a clip that I'm going to share with you. 
NBC News also had a story about this, MSNBC, MSNBC News. They also had um, uh, some coverage on this as well, okay? All right, so if we look at this article here from WXYZ Channel 7 um, here in Detroit, and let me go to this here. Okay, family of Patrick Leoa, attorney Benjamin Crump, speak after release of police shooting video. And I saw the press conference today. We shared the press conference on um, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, while, while it was happening live. Okay, so you can go back uh, there and watch it. And we're going to try to uh, air a segment of it uh, on today's show if I get to it. All right, so... Um, if we look at this article here, uh, the the family of, uh, the late Patrick Leoa, who was shot and killed by a Grand Rapids police officer, spoke during a press conference with civil rights attorney, uh, Benjamin Crump Thursday afternoon, April 14th. They're, they are demanding accountability following another death of an unarmed African-American man or black man in this case, because he was from the Congo of African descent. Um, Another death of an unarmed black man in the U.S. Uh, The family's message was clear. You simply cannot shoot someone for resisting arrest and based on the color of their skin. You simply cannot shoot someone for resisting arrest and based on the color of their skin. Uh, Now, breaking down in tears, the parents of Patrick Leoa are heartbroken as they grieve uh, their son's death. Uh, Dorcas uh, Leoa, uh, Patrick's mother, said, I don't I don't know what to do. I cannot stop myself from crying. I was thinking my son was going to bury me. But astonishingly, I am going to bury my son. Okay, I was thinking my son was going to bury me, but astonishingly, I'm going to bury my son. Uh, I am. uh, This is what his mother said. Now, Patrick's father, Peter Leoa, said, my life is um, he said, my life has come to an end. My life was Patrick, my son. I was thinking that Patrick would take my place. So it was a very emotional press conference today. I watched uh, all of it. Um, and when we come back from the break, we're going to try to share some of this with you. Um, and I'm trying to see also, let me see. I don't think we're broadcasting on our fan page, the African History Network, for some reason. I have to try to figure out what's going on there. We're, we're broadcasting on YouTube, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P on YouTube. Um, I have to see why we're not broadcasting on uh, our fan page. And we're broadcasting on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation's um, Facebook fan page as well. Okay. All right. So uh, now Patrick Leor was shot and killed by, by an, uh, was shot and killed by an unnamed Grand Rapids uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan Police Department officer after a traffic traffic stop the morning of April 11th. I'm sorry, the morning of April 4th, the morning of April 4th, 
2022. Now, the, re- the the officer has not been charged yet, so usually they don't release the name of the officer until the officer has been charged. Okay, just so people understand this. Now, on Thursday, the family's attorney cast doubt on some of the facts released, including the officer's body camera shutting off seconds before the gunshot was fired. Quote, it's such a coincidence. It's such a coincidence the video turns off right before he kills him. So there was a bystander who filmed part of it by camera phone. And they they got the part where the officer is on top of Patrick. Patrick is on his uh, stomach. And uh, the officer said Patrick was trying to grab the taser because he deployed the taser. That taser shoots twice. He deployed the taser. The taser apparently missed. And you see in the video, you see the officer take his right hand, pull his gun out, and he shoots Patrick in the back of the head, apparently. Now, the mother of uh, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids native Brianna Taylor, because Brianna Taylor, who was killed in Kentucky, okay, while she was asleep, she was in her home while she was asleep. She's originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. So Br- Brianna Taylor's mother was here in Grand Rapids, Michigan today, um, in support of the Leoa family. All right. Now, uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump says Patrick Leoa is an immigrant from the Republic of Congo, okay, from the Republic of Congo. Uh, And he was confused in the traffic stop for a non-moving violation. He also said that Patrick Leo never has taken a violent act. Uh, he, He also said Patrick Leo never has taken a violent act against uh, an officer and the police officer involved escalated the situation by failing to follow basic training, by failing to follow basic training, ultimately uh, shooting Patrick in the back of the head. So I watched the video and for him to use deadly force like that, shoot him in the back of the head, close range like that is basically it appeared it, it many people uh liken it to an execution okay not to be hyperbolic or not to gaslight it or anything like this but many people equate this killing uh to an execution all right based upon everything that we know right now we know he was unarmed um and shot close range in the back of the head okay uh totally uncalled for all right, we're coming up on a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to let you hear some of what happened uh, uh, today at the press conference. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995, and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008, and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021, and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, 
and Master Being Human were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. And after History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what race means. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Okay, uh, we're going to clip number one here in just a, a minute. Uh, Shakita from Good Morning America, I just sent you. All right, so if we go back, uh, right before the break, we were talking about the uh, killing of Patrick uh, Leoa uh, that took place April 4th, 2022 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. And a lot of people, uh, so this is made national news. A lot of people here in Michigan, a lot of local, there's been a lot of local news coverage of it. I live in Detroit, Michigan. So there's been a lot of local news coverage of it. Uh, attorney Benjamin Crump, who is one of the family attorneys, was in Grand Rapids, Michigan today, uh, there was a press conference that took place. Family of Patrick Leoa, attorney Benjamin Crump, speak after release of police shooting video. So we know the video of uh, Patrick uh, being killed by the police officer was released on Wednesday. NBC News has a, a, a story dealing with that also. So NBC and MSNBC have been covering this as well. Um, what I want to do is I want to go to this clip here. This is from Good Morning America uh, today um, uh, from this morning, and, and they talked about this. So this was before the press conference took place today. Let's go to clip number one, please, Shakita. ...into a deadly police shooting in Michigan. Overnight protests growing after video was, was released showing an officer killing a man he had pulled over for a traffic violation. Alex Perez has the latest. Overnight, demonstrators in Grand Rapids, Michigan, demanding the officer who shot Patrick Leoya be held accountable. After community pressure, authorities Wednesday... No, no, no. Stop. Stop. Releasing video from the officer's body camera, dash camera, a bystander's cell phone, and a nearby security camera, all capturing the fatal encounter April 4th. Stay in the car! The unidentified officer pulling 26-year-old Leoya over because the plates on the car wasn't registered to the vehicle. Leoya gets out, eventually tries to run. He's also seen fighting with the officer and wrestling to get the officer's taser after the officer deployed it. After demanding Leoya release the taser, the struggle ends with the officer on top of him, drawing his firearm and shooting Leoya in the head. And the grapple, the body camera, at one point, stops recording. 
test is going to be whether in the view of a reasonable police officer, whether that deadly force was needed to prevent death or great bodily harm. Attorney Ben Crum says Leoya's family is devastated and in disbelief. He's on his hands and knees facing away from the officer. There are so many other things the officer could have done instead of putting his gun out and shooting him in the back of the head. And authorities say they haven't publicly identified the officer who's a seven-year veteran of the force because he hasn't been charged. So once the investigation is complete, they'll be turned over to prosecutors who'll determine if he'll face charges. Michael? A lot of eyes on that. Thank you so much. Okay. Hold it right there. Okay. So that was uh, this morning from um, Good Morning America. So this story is uh, getting uh, national coverage. Um so it was, you know, today in the press conference, they showed uh, some still photos. And there were a lot of questions that were asked. And, you know, first of all, why uh, was deadly force needed? Now, the officer, if I remember correctly, has been on the force for uh, seven years. Okay, his name is not released. He's a, a white male officer. And watching the video, um, the deadly force was just totally unnecessary. Okay, Shakita, I just sent you um, the clip from WXYZ Channel 7. So we're going to go to that in just a minute here. If we go back to this article from uh, WXYZ Channel 7 News here in Detroit. And this article is from uh, April 14th. Okay, so uh, Patrick Leoa was uh, killed the morning of April 4th, 2022. He was shot and killed by an unnamed Grand Rapids police officer after a traffic stop. On Thursday, the family's attorney cast doubt on some of the facts released, um, including the officer's body camera shutting off seconds before the gunshot was fired. Okay, now... Uh, Brianna Taylor's mother was here in Grand Rapids, Michigan also today. Now, attorney Benjamin Crump said that Patrick Leoa, an immigrant from Rep from the Republic of Congo, was co confused in the traffic stop for a non-moving violation, for a non-moving violation. He also said that Patrick Leoa um, never, has never taken violent action against a police officer and the police officer involved escalated the situation by failing to follow basic training, ultimately shooting Patrick in the back of the head. What was wrong with calling for backup? Okay. It wasn't like Patrick murdered someone or robbed someone. He stopped. He was stopped for a traffic violation. Now, uh, Benjamin Crump says the officer had no right to use lethal force and must be terminated and charged for this crime and, and after killing the father of young children. So from my understanding here, Patrick had two children. Okay, they, um, in this article, they have the video, so you can watch that, because I'm not gonna show it here. Uh, but, but read this article from WXYZ Channel 7, Family of Patrick Leoa, Attorney Benjamin Crump, speak after release of police shooting video. Uh, Shakira, let's go to clip number two. This is from uh, WXYZ Channel 7 today. Let's go to this clip. Just a second here. Uh, also read this article from 
Uh, now, HuffingtonPost.com had a good article. We posted the article from Huffington Post on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Here's an article from uh, NBC News. I'm going to pull up the one from uh, the Huffington Post also that we posted this morning. Okay. Uh, Grand Rapids police released video of video footage of uh, of Officer Faley shooting Patrick Leoa. Okay. Do we have the clip from WXYZ queued up? Many questions. And now Patrick Leoya's family is coming forward and demanding answers. Welcome to 7 Action News at 6. I'm Glenda Lewis. And I'm Brian Abel. Just over 24 hours ago, Grand Rapids Police released video showing a white police officer shoot Leoya, a black man, in the head. Parents tearfully coming forward today alongside well-known civil rights attorney Ben Crump. And now 7 Action News reporter Simon Shaykat is live in Grand Rapids where protesters are calling for accountability. Simon. Linda Bryan, growing calls for justice and accountability here in downtown Grand Rapids. A crowd of about 100 people gathering here also wanting to wrap their arms around Patrick's family, similar to the mother of Breonna Taylor. <laughs> I hear that my heart, I see my heart being broken. Say that with my beloved son, and you know how you love your firstborn son. Breaking down in tears, parents of Patrick Leoya, heartbroken as they grieve their son's death. I don't know what to do. I cannot stop myself but for crying. And as a parent, I was thinking maybe it was my son who was going to bury me when I finished my funeral. But what is so astonishing, I am the one burying my son. Right now, I'm seeing that I have no life. My life has come to the end. My life was Patrick, my son. I was thinking that Patrick would take my place. Leoya was shot and killed by an unnamed Grand Rapids police officer after a traffic stop the morning of April 4th. Mr. Crump, what would you say needs to happen on a national scale to put a stop to these tragedies? We need police reform on the federal level. How many more of our children have to die before we change the laws and change the policies here in the United States of America. I know what it feels like to lose your 26-year-old child. Who are supposed to protect and serve us. We can't keep letting these people kill our children. Joined by the mother of Breonna Taylor, attorney Ben Crump saying Patrick, an immigrant from the Republic of Congo, was confused in the stop for a non-moving violation. Also, Patrick never has taken a violent act against an officer, and the officer escalated the situation, failing to follow basic training, ultimately shooting Patrick in the back of the head. What was so wrong about him calling for backup? It wasn't like Patrick had murdered someone. Okay, pa the pause, pause it right there. The officer Peter. had no right to pause it right there. We're coming up on a break. Just back it up about 20 seconds or so. Okay, we'll pick it up from, from there. Um, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Also, we talk about the California Reparations Task Force and their two-day meeting that took place in San Francisco Wednesday and Thursday. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Okay, you all can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. This is our official Cash App account. I contacted Cash App today because there's about four or five fraudulent African History Network Cash App accounts. So I reported them today. I'm trying to get them shut down. They've been stealing money from us. This is our only Cash App tag, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael shows my picture there. The other ones that are using our logo and their variations, uh, uh, they, they, they put this tag here. They put so the actual tag, Cash App tag is the AHNS, but for the name, they put dollar sign the AHN show to scheme to scam people. This one here is dollar sign the AHN show, but their actual cash app tag is dollar sign the AHN SHO. They can't do SHOW because that's mine. So there's about four or five of them I reported today because they've been stealing money from us. This is our actual cash app tag, okay? So uh, I posted a link. We have it at a, on a, the homepage of our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We also have the yellow PayPal donate button, okay? So you can support us. Uh, this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, uh, pay, pay the, the, some of the bills, etc. Okay. Uh, back from break in three minutes. Stand by. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. 
So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, The Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022, and uh, we are live. Calling number is 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, um, so right before the break, I was sharing this segment from WXYZ Channel 7 that uh, from what happened today uh, with the it was a press conference held and, and uh, a rally at at, uh, at a church in Grand Rapids for uh, the family of Patrick Leoa and calling for justice for uh, Patrick, who was killed April 4th by a uh, Grand Rapids uh, police officer. OK. Uh, let's go back to the rest of the clip, please, Shakita. Delayed the situation, failing to follow basic training, ultimately shooting Patrick in the back of the head. What was so wrong about him calling for backup? It wasn't like Patrick had murdered someone. Hey, stay in the car. Trump saying the officer had no right to use lethal force and must be terminated and charged for this crime after killing a father of young children. Just like these protesters, the family attorney also questioning how that officer's body camera happened to shut off just seconds before that gunshot was fired. Ryan, back to you. And Simon, maybe perhaps uh, eerily, I know that you're at Rosa Park Circle right now, right next to Brianna Taylor Way. Does the family have a timeline for filing the lawsuit in this case? That's something that we asked about the attorney for the family saying, first things first, they want to have the name of that officer released. Also, they want to spend some time with experts reviewing all the footage, all of the facts before they actually do that filing. But they want to do it soon. They just don't have an exact date set so far. Back to you. All right, Simon, shake that force in Grand Rapids. Simon, thank you. Okay. Uh, all right. Thanks, Shakita. Okay. So that was from uh, Channel 7 WXYZ. That was from uh, April 14th, 2022. If we go to this article from... Uh, the Huffington Post that came out um, on it came out Wednesday, April 13th. Grand Rapids police released video footage of officer fatally shooting Patrick Leoa. Four videos depict a prolonged struggle before the unnamed officer is seen shooting uh, Leoa in the back of the head. All right, now, and uh, let me increase the size of this here. Okay, so. Uh, police in Grand Rapids, Michigan, released uh, video footage on Wednesday afternoon showing the police officer fatally shooting uh, a black man earlier in the month, April 4th, a killing that has generated several protests in the city. Uh, so we know it was a traffic stop April 4th. Police have not identified the specific reasons for the stop, but indicated uh, Patrick Leo's license plate was not registered to the vehicle he was driving at the time. Now, uh, the video shows the officer who has not been named pinning uh, Patrick to the ground face down and shooting him in the back of the head. In the 90 seconds leading up to the shooting, Patrick is seen 
at various points struggling with the officer, attempting to run away, and at one point trying to block the officer's taser weapon from being deployed on him. It's it, it's unclear if the taser actually hit Patrick. Now, uh, Patrick is a refugee from the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, and was not armed with a uh, weapon during the encounter. Grand Rapids Police Chief Eric Winstrom announced the, the footage, the footage's release to the public during a press conference Wednesday afternoon. Quote, I thank the public for their patience and understanding while waiting for the release of the video. I intend to continue to be as forthright and transparent as possible during the ongoing Michigan State Police investigation. Okay, so the, the Michigan Police are taking over this investigation, basically. While maintaining my duty to protect the integrity of that investigation in the interests of justice and accountability. Right. So read the rest of this article here. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll have more on this next week. All right. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Now, I want to go to this next story here. And I want to go to this next story here. And we're going to clip... Uh, Three, I think, uh, clip three, Chicago, uh, Shakita, the dental reparations. The uh, first one I sent you, the one that says day one. We're going to that in just a second from KPIX CBS in South in uh, San Francisco. Okay, so I want to go to this next story. Uh, you know, we talked about the California Reparations Task Force, okay? And uh, we talked about this back in March. Uh, March, uh, early April. And they voted 5-4 to uh, base reparations for African-Americans in California based upon lineage as opposed to uh, based upon race. And the reason why is, is because based upon the 1964 Civil Rights Act, okay, it is illegal to um, have race-based policies, all right? This is why, now, I don't know how many of the cut-the-check people know this, but no, you're not going to get reparations for 50 million African-Americans, 50 million black people in America, 40 million, no, it, no. It's going to have to be because it's illegal. It, it violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So a lot of these people talking about reparations, for some reason they don't want to say that, Okay. But this is why the California task force had to do it the way they did it. So if we look at this article here from uh, this is from the New York Times from March 30th, 2022. So we talked about this here on this show when this happened. And uh, we played the segment uh, from Camila Moore, who's the chairwoman of the task force. She was on Roland Martin and Filter. So we went through, broke all this stuff down last last month. Okay, I think it was uh, I think it was early April that we dealt with this. California task force votes to offer reparations only to descendants of enslaved people. The decision came after weeks of debate about whether all black Californians should receive reparations. Okay, so you remember you remember us talking about this. 
in a closely watched decision, the state's reparations task force voted Tuesday night to move forward with compensation for African-American descendants of enslaved people and descendants of freed people, freed black people living in the United States before the 19th century, before 1900. So based upon the way the policy is, and they're still trying to work some details out, if your ancestors came to the U.S. in 1899 and you can prove, prove you have proof of your lineage to them and they were enslaved, then whatever compensation that they come up with, you would qualify for that if you live in the state of California. If your ancestors came in 1900, you don't qualify. See, what I've been trying to explain to all these cut the check people is one ain't just gonna cut a check to 50 million black people, 40 million, whatever number you want. No, that's not gonna happen. One. Two, when you actually dig into this and deal with how to identify and how people prove their lineage and all this stuff, this is much more difficult, much more complicated. It's not impossible, it's much more complicated than people think it is. This is a big deal. A California as California reparations effort is the first of its scale and is likely to serve as a model for the rest of the nation. Not to mention that Tuesday's decision was highly contentious. The vote fought five to four came after weeks of debate about whether reparations should be for all of the 2.6 million black Californians or limited to those who can trace their lineage to enslaved people. The panel ultimately decided to focus on those most hurt by slavery instead of more broadly addressing the effects of racism directed at black people because it would violate the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And if you did get it passed, guess what? It's going to get overturned in court when it gets challenged in the judicial branch of the government. And this is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So I want to go to this first clip. Uh, this is from uh, KPX uh, uh, Channel 5 in San Francisco. We're going to uh, the clip deals with uh, day number one, Shakita. Let's go to this clip. Play toward what restitution might look like for descendants of enslaved people. KPX 5's Kenny Choi reports from a key summit in San Francisco's Fillmore District. California's Reparations Task Force met for the first time in person since its inaugural meeting last year. The historic gathering ended with an emotional call to make reparations a reality. A fiery speech demanding California lead the way in what's already a first-of-its-kind mission and advancement in the country for reparations. Members of the Third Baptist Church in the Fillmore District and the black community know the road to the promised land is a long one. This black community is determined now to fight back. We're not going to bag down on reparations. We all deserve a seat at the table, and we're waiting for our seat. Part of the two-day summit kicking off today is to discuss what kind of plan the nine-member task force will present to the state legislature in 2023. All right, we're coming up on the break. Uh, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. Now, for people that like don't understand law, 
this is not a trick. The problem is you're trying to deal with a legal, you're trying to have, have a legal remedy and don't understand law. No, you know, they, they ain't going to cut a check to 2.6 million black people. The first thing you should do is like really understand law. No, that violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act. If you actually research the debates that were taking place with the 5-4 commission, it, with the 5-4 vote, if you actually go watch the segment that 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 we did on our show a, few, a couple of weeks ago, and, and, I, and I shared the a segment from Roland Martin and Filter where Camila Moore, who's the chairwoman of the commission, explained why they had to do what they had to do. And Dr. Greg Carr, who's a historian and chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at, at uh, Howard University, and he was one of the people that testified at the task force meeting, they explained why they had to do it based upon lineage as opposed to race. The problem is people are out here talking about reparations and have no clue what the hell they're talking about. And they're pimping our people, getting them hyped on something that they're never gonna get. Just like Invoke said, never gonna get it, never gonna get it. You ain't gonna get it that way. You listen to the African History Network show, we'll be back in a few minutes. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, they solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with real estate note investing. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing, and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition, and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Okay, um, back, I think, I think was at the end of that clip, uh, Shakita, let me know. Uh, let's look at this article here from the Associated Press. So there were a number of different stories written up, written about this. Uh, most of them, a lot of them, I looked at one from uh, uh, one of the affiliates, Channel 5, who is this? Um, uh, KCRA Channel 3, KCRA Channel 3, um, uh, the California area. And uh, this one here, they picked up by the Associated Press, okay? So here's the article from the Associated Press on this meeting. 
once again, if you're going to talk about reparations and you're dealing in reparations deals with law, the first thing your dumb ass needs to do is go study law. Okay. As opposed to talk, talking about cut the check. That's just nonsense. I don't know where these people come from with this simple Simon ass nonsense. Uh, members of California's first in the nation reparations task force convened in a historic African-American church in San Francisco on Wednesday, April 13th, making their own history as they work to educate the public and develop a restitution proposal, a restitution proposal for the people harmed by the institution of slavery. We're going to clip two in just a second, Shakita, from day two, KPIX, okay? The two-day meeting at the Third Baptist, uh, Third Baptist Church in the city's Fillmore district was the first time the nine-member task force gathered in person since its inaugural meeting nearly two years ago, okay? Since its inaugural meeting nearly two years ago. Uh, the meeting comes more than uh, comes mere weeks after the group voted to limit restitution to descendants of enslaved black people. OK, they have a link here. You can go read the rest of this. OK, morning attendance was light, but the emotions largely jubilant. About a dozen speakers lined up for uh, lined up for public comment. Some uh, thanking the task force members for undertaking the critical work. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's hard work too, because you have to structure this in a way where it withstands legal challenges. Okay. Compare this to the $4 billion in debt relief for um, African-American farmers and Latino farmers and native American farmers that was in the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. Well, white farmers sued and said that their constitutional rights were being violated because they can't qualify for the debt forgiveness also. And the and and it's uh the whole case is tied up in court. The 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 debt forgiveness has not been distributed basically to the to the farmers because it's tied up in court. Now, John Boyd, president of the Black Farmers Union, said they're going to fight this all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. But you're dealing, but you're dealing with law. OK, and, and that that restitution that that this is not even four billion dollars in cash payments. This is four billion dollars in debt forgiveness. OK, it was put into it. It was Senator Raphael Warnock, Senator Cory Booker and others put this into the American Rescue Plan to give some type of debt relief especially to African-American farmers who have been discriminated against for the past 100 years by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the federal government. But that's tied up in court. So what do you think is going to happen to this with reparations? That's why they have to structure it in a way that they have to do it to withstand a legal challenge so it doesn't get struck down by the judicial branch of the government because the judicial branch of the government interprets law from the legislative branch of the government, and they can either uphold a law or strike it down based upon it being constitutional or unconstitutional. Let's go to clip. Uh, let's go to clip number two. This is uh, about uh, day two. This is from Thursday, April fourteenth. Force and reparations is meeting for a second day of testimony. It comes as California leads the way toward what restitution 
might look like for descendants of people who were enslaved. KPI's fine, Justin Andrews is live from the newsroom this morning. And Justin, this continues to be just such an emotional and passionate conversation. Absolutely, then the task force will be hearing another full day of testimony and public comments this morning during its nine o'clock meeting. Yesterday's meeting, though, ended with an emotional plea to make reparations a reality. Pastors and black community members making it loud and clear they will not back down on reparations. We all deserve a, a seat at the table, and we're waiting for our seat. And they are not giving up in that fight for that seat. Some were saying every black person in America faces a symbolic chokehold every single time they leave their homes. California is leading the nation when it comes to reparations task force, whose job and mission is to study develop reparation proposals for black people and recommend appropriate remedies based on its findings. They'll be meeting again today at Third Baptist Church. And the reason that's pointed out is because that's the historic Fillmore District, once a neighborhood thriving with black businesses, black nightclubs, and black shops until redevelopment forced them out. This black community is determined now to fight back. We're not going to bag down reparations this night. It's a launching pad for big and better things to happen. Today, the nine-member task force will continue working on what plans to present to the state legislature next year. Advocates say compensation could include free college housing, free college housing assistance, and also grants to churches and other organizations. Many at last night's meeting said they believe their march toward victory is one step closer. We're live in the newsroom. I'm Justin Andrews, KPI 5. Okay. So uh, that's a great reporter from KPIX Channel 5 out of San Francisco. This article here from Griot, they picked this up from the Associated Press. Okay. California reparations uh, meeting in San Francisco. Wish I can close this ad out. Uh, California reparations panel to meet in San Francisco. This is from uh, April 13, 22. So they picked this up from the Associated Press. If we go back uh, quickly here to uh, this article, and those watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, keep watching because we're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. Uh, okay, so Governor Gavin Newsom signed legislation creating the two-year reparations task force in 2020, making California the only state to move ahead with a uh, mission to study the institution of slavery, educate people about its findings, and develop remedies, and develop remedies. Part of repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery, decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, being locked out of tens of millions of uh, acres of land given away from the uh, Homestead Act of 1862, they gave away about 270 million acres of land. The Southern Homestead Act of 1866 gave away about 45 million acres of land. The Dawes Allotment Act of 1877, they redistributed 138 million acres of land. Okay, all, all, all these laws and policies, you can look at the GI Bill in 1944, 1945, discrimination with that. This helped to maldistribute wealth pond resources into the hands of Europeans. So part of repairing the damage, you also have to change the laws and policies that are currently in place that continue to inflict harm and damage on African-Americans. Just, just cutting a check won't do that because 
every year we go to conferences to talk about how we spend 97% of our dollars with people that don't look like us. So if we got, if reparations only came in the form of cash payments, what the hell you think we're going to do with it? We're going to give it right back. And you would not have changed the laws and policies in place that continue to maldistribute wealth on resources. Okay. Uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a few more minutes. Right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you uh, next time. Peace. Then also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And we have uh, the information around the homepage of our website. There are fake African History Network Cash App accounts out there. I'm trying to get them shut down. I reported some of them. Uh, some more of them to uh, uh, cash out today. Okay, so I'm trying to get them shut down because they've been stealing money from us. This is our only cash app account. Do our tag is dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. So if you type it in, type in the whole thing, S H O W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones here, other ones using our logo, all those, those are fake African History Network cash app accounts. You see this one? Bears is their actual tag is dollar sign the A H N S. But for their name, they put dollar sign the A H N show to scam people. This one here, their tag, their, their cash app tag is dollar sign the A H N S H O. But to scam people, they put as their name dollar sign the A H N show. Okay. And there are other ones out there that I reported today also to cash app. So I'm trying to get them shut down. Uh, we have our tag here. You can click right there, right on the homepage of our website. And then we also have the yellow donate button for PayPal also. Okay. Uh, you can register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, so our next class is Saturday, April 16th, Saturday, April 16th, ancient Kemet, the Moors, Emma Alpha, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is so. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. We have about 10 weeks of class already archived. So you can watch it anytime. Even after the course is over with, you can still go back and um, um, why would they give grants to churches when they are already a nonprofit? Why do they give grants to nonprofits in the first place? Why what nonprofit 501 c Profits get grants. Why do they give grants to nonprofit organizations? Why do they give grants to Head Start organizations? It's, come on, people. Nonprofit organizations get funding every year in the form of grants. Any nonprofit organization. Okay. Um, the classes on sale $60, regularly $130. You, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. So as soon as you register, we have about 10 weeks of sessions already archived. You can watch at your own pace. You don't have to join us in class at a certain time. You can watch from around the world. You can use this information also, uh, with your family. Okay. You can use this with your children. I would say the, the content is PG-13. I don't do a lot of cursing. It's not uh, overly graphic and, and really traumatizing, things like that. I'm not trying to be sensational with it or anything uh, of that nature, okay? 
Uh, so I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. So we have a ton of information. I'm going to post a link here um, so you can register for it. As soon as you reg register, you can start watching uh, content. Now I do a uh, another um, do another uh, class on normally on Sundays. Okay, uh, because of Easter, the next session for the Sunday class is going to be uh, April twenty fourth. All right, but we have uh, about nine weeks, uh, eight or nine weeks of this class already archived that I've just done in the past couple of months. So as soon as you register, you can go through and watch sessions one through eight. This class is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Uh, and this class is regularly $130, is on sale, uh, $60. We do a, um, we, we go through and look at history. Uh, we start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase and the Haitian Revolution. Okay, and we go through history and look and see uh, what leads to the Civil War taking place, what happened to us after slavery ended. We studied the Reconstruction era, 18, 1865, 1877, Reconstruction, why Reconstruction ended, the Compromise of 1877, the closing of the Freedmen's Bank in 1874, uh, the, the closing of the Freedmen's Bureau, 1872, um, and then we look at the Jim Crow era. Um, Great Migration, World War One, World War Two, uh, the, the the Civil War, the uh, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Uh, we go through and look at this history chronologically to see what happened to us after uh, the uh, Civil War ended. What were the laws and policies put in place to uh, put us in the predicament that we're in right now? Okay. To, to better understand this. And this also also helps us to better understand politics and laws and policies and the impact that laws and policies have on us. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources and the writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement, okay? Politics impacts every aspect of our lives from the water we drink to the food we eat to the air we breathe. All right, so you can register for that. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We just posted the link here as well. Okay. If you've taken any of my online classes in the past, um, email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and you'll get a 50% discount. Email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, if you've taken any of my online classes in the past, you'll get a 50% discount. Okay. Let's continue here. So I want to go back to, uh, I want to go back to this article here from uh, I want to go back to this article here from the this is from the Associated Press and this deals with the uh, two-day meeting that the California uh, Reparations Task Force had okay so uh, Wednesday's meeting was held in the neighborhood uh, once thriving with African-American nightclubs and shops until uh, government redevelopment forced out uh, residents. OK, and we know uh, we're going to see a lot of this take place because the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956 
we're going to see eminent domain imp, uh, implemented even before then to wipe out a lot of the businesses, business districts, business districts we owned and uh, homes we own, things of this nature. A prime example of how local policies decimated a black neighborhood. You're dealing with policies, you're dealing with politics, you're dealing with laws, ordinances, statutes, policies, etc. Third Baptist Church was founded in 1852. The first African-American Baptist congregation founded west of the Rocky Mountains, according to a uh, according to a landmark, a landmark uh, designation awarded the church in 2017. His pastor is uh, Reverend Dr. Amos Brown, uh, who's the task force vice chair, longtime civil rights activist and president of the San Francisco chapter of the NAACP. More than three dozen people were in the wooden pews for the all day meeting, which included testimony from experts in disparities in education. On Thursday, the committee is scheduled to discuss a report uh, to be made public in June that shows how the institution of slavery continues to reverberate throughout California, how the institution of slavery continues to reverberate throughout California, including in the form of disparities in household income, health, employment and incarceration this is what i've been this is what i've been saying you have to you want to deal with present day um you want to deal with present day uh disparities present day racial disparities dealing with household income median household income we just talked about the past two days we talked about the state of black america report and it showed uh it dealt with the disparities uh, in, in, uh, median household income. Okay. You want to deal with, you want to deal with that incarceration, median household wealth, home values, et cetera, and then deal with the laws and policies that were put in place that brought about those discrepancies. Okay. And then trace that back to the history of slavery to show the connection between all of that and show the damage that's still being done to understand how to remedy the damage, to understand the laws and policies that need to be put in place to remedy the damage, you have to adequately assess what the damage is. If you just think the damage was our ancestors who were free from slavery 157 years ago weren't paid for slavery, that means you don't understand any of this. That's only one small part of it. This is why understanding this history and the laws and policies is so important that that brings you to right where you right right where we are today. Um, the let me see where is this here? There was a oh this one right here. So we talked about this uh, yesterday on Wednesday, and this is from the State of Black America report, twenty twenty two, that was released Tuesday. Uh, from the National Urban League. And uh, on Morning Joe on Wednesday, uh, they, at the end of the show, they did like four minutes with Mark Morial. I was waiting for them to have him on the day. I don't think they had him back on the day, so maybe they'll do it Monday. 
house median household income and the disparity here African American median household income is forty three thousand eight hundred sixty two dollars annual income white median household income sixty nine thousand eight hundred twenty three dollars that's a thirty seven percent difference then also this contributes to helps to contribute to the wealth gap as well All right, now, if we go back to this article here. So in a dramatic vote last month in um, March, California's task force split 5-4 to limit reparations to people who can show, who can show they are descended from enslaved or free black people in the U.S. as of the 19th century to who can show it, who can prove it, not just say I'm black, not just say, oh, I'm a descendant of slaves. You have to provide some type of documentation to prove it. Those who favor broader eligibility says lineage-based reparations unfairly shuts out black people who have also suffered systemic discrimination. They are they are correct with that. That does shut out other people of African descent who have suffered uh, systemic discrimination. That is true. But the problem is that's going to get overturned in court because it violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act that banned policies based upon race because we were discriminated against because remember, 1964 Civil Rights Act overturns the 1896 Plessy versus Ferguson U.S. Supreme Court case. We were being discriminated against based based upon race. So you have to figure, you have to understand how to navigate throughout the law. That's why they made it lineage based to try to get some type of compensation for a portion of the 2.6 million uh, Californians of African descent. But Josiah Williams, a member of the Coalition for Just and Equitable California in Oakland, said the vote the vote validated African-Americans who have striven uh, throughout history or striving throughout history to make society more equitable for everyone else, only to watch as some minority groups receive compensation, but not them. Well, minority groups, they're not going to be able to i don't know if you're talking about something else but they're not going to be able to take advantage of this this isn't about excluding anyone it's about making sure we get what we need for our own people like we're trying to breathe said williams 37 we're just trying to get repair for the first time now several members now it's also important to note and um when we talk about legal arguments one of the legal arguments for reparations is based upon the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 also, because keep in mind those, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it was thousands of um, people of African descent that who were enslaved by the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. They got compensation. They got, they were awarded land. They got, uh, they became members of those Native American nations. 
have full voting rights, basically got free taxes, uh, not property taxes, but free taxes. Some of them got free college tuition. A lot of them got some type of compensation. This is how you get a Sarah Rector. Sarah Rector, who became the richest Afro-American girl in uh, early 1900s, right around 1911, 1912, when oil was discovered on her land in Oklahoma that she was awarded, her and her family was awarded because of the Dawes allotment after 1887. Now, several members in the audience were with his coalition, which which worked on the legislation to get the task force created, but others were learning about the state's reparations efforts for the first time, as well as the possibility of having to collect paperwork to prove their eligibility for restitution, okay? Um, all right, so read the rest of this here. Read the rest of this article. Uh, this is uh, reparations advocates toast historic moment in San Francisco, April 13th, 2022. This is from the Associated Press. All right. Now. OK. Uh, OK. So he was apprehended yesterday. He was arraigned today. OK, if we look at this here from uh, immediate release from the Eastern District of New York. Department of Justice. Okay, this is from the Eastern District uh, of New York. Frank James charged in Brooklyn mass shooting on New York subway defendant allegedly attempted to kill commuters during morning rush during morning rush hour. A criminal complaint was unsealed today in federal court in Brooklyn, charging Frank James with conducting a violent act on a mass transportation vehicle in violation of 18 USC 1992 a uh, section a seven and section B one. The terrorist attacks or other violence against a man, a mass transportation system. Okay. The charge terrorist attacks or other, uh, or other violence against a mass transportation system relates to the April 12, 2022 mass shooting on the New York city subway in sunset park, Brooklyn. Frank James was arrested earlier uh today uh so this is this is from wednesday april uh 13th okay he was arrested earlier wednesday april 13th uh by new york city police officers in manhattan and will make his initial appearance tomorrow thursday united states magistrate judge wrote of uh, roan l uh uh before united states magistrate judge roan l man okay uh, i want to go to this uh, clip here. This is from uh, NBC Nightly News today. Just a second. Let me go to this clip. Shoot all those people! After a massive manhunt, today Frank James appeared in federal... And you shoot all those people! 
After a massive manhunt, today Frank James appeared in federal court, wearing a green jail uniform, sitting silently with his attorneys, only nodding yes when the judge asked if he understood the charge he's facing, committing a terrorist act or other violence against a mass transportation system. Prosecutors argued James should be denied bail, saying the attack during Tuesday morning's rush hour was carefully planned, causing terror through the entire city. After releasing smoke in a crowded train, investigators say he fired 33 rounds before his gun jammed. Police say during the chaos, James shed the distinctive construction worker jacket he was wearing when he entered the station and fled on a train across the platform, blending in with other riders. Defense attorneys requested a psychiatric evaluation and asked the public not to rush to judgment. He called Crime Stoppers to help. He told them where he was. Mr. James is entitled to a fair trial, and we will ensure that he receives one. Though James did call the tip line himself, police say they were already closing in. A tweet posted at about 10.30 in the morning alerted them to the suspect's location. He was arrested hours later, carrying a Wisconsin driver's license, $38, and a second phone. The first was found at the scene. Of the 29 people injured, five remain hospitalized. I get shot in the back of the leg, the back of my knee. And it comes out through the other side. Huare Bencada says he was sitting right next to the gunman. He got himself. That's good. He's off the street. And James will stay off the streets and in a federal jail for the foreseeable future. He was denied bail. He has not yet entered a plea. All right. Uh, let's see here. So let's go back to this. I'm going to go back to this from... Uh, Eastern District of uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, Eastern District. So, Breon Peace, United States uh, Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, Michael Driscoll, Assistant Director in Charge, Federal Bureau of Investigation, New York Field Office, uh, John DeVito, Special Agent, and others. Um, announced the arrest and charge. So this was at a press, so there was a press conference yesterday. So some of these people at the press conference on Wednesday. As alleged, the defendant committed a heinous and premeditated attack on ordinary New Yorkers during their morning subway commute. During their morning subway commute. Um, all New Yorkers uh, a stated United States attorney, uh, Breon Peace. All New Yorkers have the right to expect that they will be safe as they travel throughout other uh, great city and th throughout our great city and use our vital transportation systems. I am grateful to our law enforcement partners, the first responders and the uh, everyday New Yorkers who stepped up uh, during the crisis and showed the best of our city. And we continue to pray for the victims uh, and their loved ones. We continue to pray for the victims and their loved ones as they recover from this traumatic event, both physically and emotionally. Uh, okay, let's see here. I mean, okay, you can read the rest of that. All right, now,
Uh, this one right here. Okay, that's in Firefox. Uh, Brooklyn subway shooting suspect Frank James has stockpiled of weapons, prosecutors say. If we look at this, this is from uh, April 14th. So uh, the man accused of opening fire on a rush hour New York subway car did so with premeditated intentions and had access to a stockpile of weapons, prosecutors said Thursday. Frank James made his initial appearance in a federal courtroom accused of committing a terrorist attack on mass transit, a federal charge that could bring a life sentence if he's if he is convicted, prosecutors said. Frank James picked up a U-Haul van Monday in Philadelphia and went to New York and went to New York City with violent plans, according to a memo filed by the government. Quote, the defendant committed a premeditated mass shooting on a New York City subway system and then fled the scene with a stockpile of ammunition and other dangerous items stowed in his storage unit. Uh, the federal prosecutors wrote the memo did not disclose where the storage unit contained where the storage unit containing James uh, Frank James alleged cashier of weapons was kept. Law enforcement sources said it was in the Philadelphia metro area. Uh, law enforcement agents found a nine mil nine millimeter ammunition, a threaded nine millimeter pistol barrel that allows for a silencer or suppressor to be attached, targets, and a two twenty three cal and two twenty three caliber ammunition, which is used with an AR fifteen semi semi automatic rifle. Uh, end quote. They found all this in the storage unit. The memo stated. Okay. Um, when uh, Frank James arrived in Brooklyn, he was armed with, with all the weapons and tools he needed to carry out the mass attack, including a Glock pistol, a container of gasoline, a torch, a torch and fireworks, prosecutors said. Okay, you can read the rest of this also. Uh, this is at ecnews.com. Brooklyn subway shooting suspect Frank James has stockpiled of weapons, prosecutors say. So check that out. That's from April 14th. All right, now I want to go to this last story here. Uh, this deals with the founding of the um, Free African Society, founded April 12, 1787. April 12, so April 12 was the anniversary of the founding of the Free African Society. And this is something that we talk about in some of the online classes that I, that I teach, um, like ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach them in school. And let me pull this up here. So the Zen Education Project has a good article on this. April 12, 1787. The Free African Society founded. And it's founded by Richard Allen and Absalom Jones.
Uh, let's go to this article here. April 12, 1787. Okay, so we see Richard Allen, uh, Absalom Jones and Richard Allen here. On April 12, 1787, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones founded the Free African Society in Philadelphia to be a multi-dimensional, a multi-denomination, mutual aid organization for freed African-Americans so that they could gather strength and develop leaders in the community so they could gather strength and develop leaders in the community. And we have a deep, rich history of cooperatives, mutual aid societies, things like this, and, and using cooperative economics. We have a deep, rich history of this. Um, Dr. Jessica Gordon Nemhard's book, Collective Courage, deals with this history. Where's Collective Courage? I have the book here. Uh, it's in, let me see what happens in the book. This one right here. This one right here, Collective Courage by uh, Dr. Jessica Gordon Emhard, A History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. So this deals with our deep, deep rich history of uh, engaging of the co-ops, the cooperatives, and engaging in cooperative economics. And these were principles that we brought with us from Africa. The Free African Society was a benevolent organization grounded in Christian religious faith and operating outside denominational differences to serve the social needs of black Philadelphians. In the Encyclopedia of Greater Philadelphia, it notes, talking about the Free African Society, members in good standing could expect a number of benefits from the mutual aid fund, particularly in the first years of the society, um, particularly in the first years of the society, important aspects of support for members, including payments, included payments for burials, included payments for burials, and providing financial aid for widows and other family members of the deceased. Finding apprenticeships for children to learn a trade and paying tuition for members' children if places in free schools were not available. Over time, the Free African Society expanded to care for the social and economic well-being of its members by providing moral guidance, by helping newcomers uh, to the city feel welcome, and by giving assistance during periods of financial difficulty brought on by unemployment or sickness. So they were using the co-ops, they were using cooperative economics to help African-Americans in the late 1700s, going into the 1800s. 
the sick society, the, the, I mean, the, the society also took on the task of assisting the sick during the yellow fever epidemic in 1793. Members nursed the sick, dug graves and buried the dead and transported the ill to quarters outside of the city where they could be quarantined or given medical aid. The preamble to, the, to their founding documents describes why they founded the society and its mission. And it says, whereas Absalom Jones and Richard Allen, two men of the African race, because we were, many of us were still identifying with Africa at this point, two men of the African race who for their religious life and conversation have obtained a good report among men, these persons from a love to the people of their complexion, these persons from a love to the people of their complexion whom they beheld with sorrow because of their irreligious and uncivilized state often commune together upon this painful and important subject in order to form some kind of religious society, but there being, but, but there being too few to be found under the like concern and those who were differed in their religious sentiments. With these circumstances, they labored for some time till it was proposed after a serious communication of sentiments that a society should be formed without regard to religious tenets. A society should be formed without regard to religious tenets. Provided the persons lived an orderly and sober life in order to support one, uh, one another in sickness and for the benefit of their widows and fatherless children, and for the benefit of their widows and fatherless children. So the Free African Society took monthly dues and used the uh, funds to support black Philadelphians, including widows and orphans. The surviving widow of a deceased member should enjoy the benefit of this society so long as she remains his widow, complying with the rules thereof, accepting the subscriptions. The children of, of deceased members, the children of deceased members be under the care of the society so far as to pay for the education of their children if they cannot attend the free school also to put them out also to put them out apprentices to suitable trades or places if required now richard allen left the free african society when it grew more quaker under religious influence from the society of france he went on to found the first african methodist episcopal church okay ame church this is richard allen he went on to found the first African Methodist Episcopal Church, Mother Bethel uh, AME Church in 1794, all right? So 
read about the free African society here using cooperative economics, okay? Um, this is at zeneducationproject.org. The Free African Society was founded uh, April 12th, 1787 in Philadelphia. Now, let me see, where is that? Uh, hold on, I talk about this in, I have some slides on this because it's in one of my presentations. Okay, yeah, dealing with the um, Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power. Okay, so we have the slides here, and we talk about cooperative economics. And there's a um, there's another presentation I did in Black History Month. So this is the type of information that we deal with in the uh, online classes that I teach also, especially from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa as well, but uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, you know, we deal with 1800s, 1900s. So we deal with a lot of this information. Okay, let me see. where. Uh, that's not the one I wanted. Okay, this one here. And if we look at this here, okay. Uh, well, you know, clutch and stick, uh, if you actually do the research, you do know that more white people are killed each year by police than African-Americans, right? Year after year after year after year. It's just that, um, the body camera footage and dash cam footage, you don't see that on MSNBC and CNN, white people get killed by police. If you go, uh, to WashingtonPost.com. And they have the most, probably the most comprehensive database, database dealing with police shootings. It's called Fatal Force. Okay. And they break it down by race. They break it down by whether the person was armed or unarmed, et cetera. Um, each year, the more white people killed by police than African-Americans. And they're, they're, what happens is, is that because it doesn't make, it doesn't make it to cable news because those videos don't go viral on social media. You don't have an uproar. If that, if those videos went viral on social media, like videos when African-Americans are killed by police, you would have an uproar. You have an uproar from white people. It's like a, it's like a, a, a well-kept secret. Okay. And read this article here from, um, Washington Post video shows officer Faley shooting Patrick Leoa in Michigan. This is from um, Thursday, 
Thursday, uh, April 14th. All right. And in the, in this article here, they talk about the, um, okay. Multiple, multiple videos released. I think they talk about right here. Yet in the years since the rate of police shootings has remained steady as, as have the victim demographics, according to tracking by the Washington post, black people have been shot at more than twice the rate as white people. And most shooting victims are young male or young and male, according to the Washington post analysis. So this year, so far this year, there have been 255 shootings, but when you actually go, and research this, and I've been looking at Fatal Force each year since I've been looking at this since they started doing this. I, I think it was 2012, 2014. They started doing it, something like that. But I've been researching this at their in their database, the Washington Post database, since they started uh, keeping track of this. And where did that go? Right here, Fatal Force. So the question that I ask, especially when I do my lectures, and this is going back to 2016 when I started, when I uh, did the lecture dealing with the history of Richard Nixon's war on drugs and the history of the war on drugs in this country going back to 1875 and the anti-opium laws in, in California targeting Chinese men who are working on the railroads. Where are the dash cam videos and cell phone videos of white people who were shot and killed by police. And, and, and why don't we see those on cable news? And why don't we see those going viral like it is when we're killed? Because they exist. And if you look here, they, you can go break this down. You can download the data, read about the methodology. Uh, if we look at... Let me see every fatal shoot. Okay. 2015. Yeah. So they started doing this in 2015. I've been reading this since they started in 2015, keeping track of this. Um, they usually have the, okay. Jump to the database. That's what I want the database right here. So then they break it down where you can search. They have it broken down uh, police killings by state. Okay, uh, the police killings by state, gender, race, age, mental illness, whether the person was armed or unarmed, fleeing the scene, broken down by year. Okay, um, they have the name, and what they do is they go look at local news news reports and newspaper reports and things like this, and compile this database from from that. Uh, now, if you look at, let's go back and look at this here, then I have to get out of here. You break it down by race. So they're looking at, uh, I think they're looking at since 2015, since they started compiling the database. White people killed by police, 3,022. Black people killed by police. 1,593 Hispanics, 1,088 other 243 unknown 1300. Okay. If we look, if we look by year, let's look at 
2020 is not complete. So let's look at 2021. They recorded 1,554 uh, people killed by police. Now, some of these killings, I'm not going to lie. Some of them, some of them are justified. Okay, some of, if you if you rob a bank and the police tell you drop the gun, drop the money, you shoot at the police, what, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to shoot your ass. That's what's going to happen. But but there are a lot of cases where it's unjustified. The person's unarmed. The person's running away and they get shot in the back. Or in the case with uh, Patrick Leoa, even though there was a struggle, he's on his stomach. The officer's on his back. He may have been may have had his hand on the taser, but the officer pulls out his gun and shoots him in the back of the head. That's unjustified. Um, let's see here. Okay. 1,054 people shot and killed by police. That was in 2021. So then you can break it down by, uh, I want to look at, uh, I want to look at race. In 2021, I want to look at race. So in 2021, there were 234 white people shot and killed by police. One, 139 African-Americans, 66 Hispanics, eight classified as other, 607 unknown. But each year that you go through, each year, year after year after year after year, there are more white people shot and killed by police than African-Americans. Now we know that White people, the majority population in this country, 57% as of the 2022 census, which was the first time that the U.S. population of white people dropped below 60% since 1790. But why, why isn't this all over the news that there are more white people shot and killed by police each year than African-Americans? Because as long as police brutality and unjust killings by police, things like this, as long as that is a, is a black issue, or a Latino issue is really not going to change. When you start making this a white issue and you start showing the pictures, see in, in, in Congress, when they, when they talk about the George Floyd justice and police and that, what they should, first of all, all respect to George Floyd and his family. They shouldn't, they should not have named the bill after George Floyd. People keep doing this some symbolic stuff. They should not have named the bill after George Floyd. One of the reasons why they should not have named the bill after George Floyd is when you go look at Senator Langford of Oklahoma, Republican, he said that because uh, the officer was arrested and prosecuted and convicted, then justice was served and you don't really need police reform because the system worked. <laughs> well, if the system worked, George Floyd would still be alive. See, the problem was that he was arrested in the first place over an alleged fake $20 bill. And he probably didn't even, he probably didn't even know the bill was fake because the, uh, the, 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 uh, the clerk at the convenience store came out to the car two or three times and they were questioning the $20 bill. George Floyd was still there and he was still there when the police came. So most likely, and not only that, during the trial, they released surveillance footage inside the Cup Foods convenience store. And it shows George Floyd still in the store 
after he buys whatever he's going to buy, he's still in the store. So if you're trying to pass, if you were knowingly trying to pass counterfeit money, you're not going to hang around in the store after you do that. You're going to leave. You're not going to go sit out in the car for uh, for minutes and in, 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 in the t uh, the clerk is coming out asking you about the bill and, and you still there. You're going to leave. So most likely he didn't even know the bill was counterfeit if it was counterfeit. So when you have mentality, a mentality like Senator Langford of Ohio, uh, of Oklahoma, and there's a lot of Republican senators who think that way. See, when you name it after George Floyd, they got millions of dollars from the uh, Minneapolis Police Department, rightfully so, and they got a conviction of their children, rightfully so. Okay, so you got a lot of people say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's done. That was a tragedy. We're sorry for him and his little girl, but that, that that's done. No, don't name, don't name it after somebody that got some type of justice. I wouldn't per personally either don't put a name on it. Just call it whatever type of police reform bill you want, whatever, justice, whatever. Don't put don't put somebody's name on it or or if you're smart. And, you know, you got. You need 60 votes in the Senate to pass the bill, and there's only 50 Democrats, which means you're gonna need 10 Republicans to vote for the bill. I'll put somebody, I will put somebody white, put their name on the bill who got shot and killed by police unjustly, and they were unarmed. I will put in and, and, and when they have the debate in the Senate, because it already passed the House of Representatives, the bill. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021 by a vote of 220 to 212. Passing the House is easy. It's hard to get it passed in the Senate. I would have all I would have all these pictures of all these white people and white teenagers shot and killed by police with their names and the date they the date they were born, date they were killed, the age they were, unarmed. All, I have all that I have all that stuff in the Senate. Okay. And say, okay, now. You, you tell that parents you ain't going to vote for this bill. You know, I, I'd have the parents come. I'd have the parents come to the Senate chamber, all this stuff. I have the, you, you tell them you're not going to vote for this bill. As long as it's a black issue, it's going either you're not going to get the bills passed or it's going to be very, very hard to get them passed. As long as you make this a black issue. You can still talk about how it disproportionately affects African-Americans. You got to, when, when white, when, when the majority, when white, when there are more white people killed each year by police, and all you got to do is go study the data. This is documented. This ain't me saying this. This is documented. There, every year, there are more white people killed by police than African Americans, and you just keep making this a black issue? I don't know what the hell you're doing. And the majority of people that got to vote for the bill are white, especially in the Senate. There's only three black people in the entire U.S. Senate out of 100 senators. There's only, well, two and a half. Because Tim Scott don't act like it half the time. Tim Scott voted against Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. He's the only black Republican in the Senate out of 100 senators. And he voted against Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. So every year, there are more white people killed by police than African-Americans and you not making that an issue? I don't, I don't know what you're doing. So go research this. I really don't know. I, they mean well, but it, that, you, 
You don't understand strategy. And then this is an economic issue because when they have to pay out millions of dollars, the cities have to pay out millions of dollars, that's money that could have been used for other things. Could it be used for education? Could it be used, could, could be used for healthcare? Could it be used fixed road? All different types of things like that, which impacts taxpayers, which impacts white people. So we say, wait a second, you know, when you change these laws, you reduce the payouts that cities have to do for uh, uh, police misconduct, which really benefits the entire city. We can put it, we can put it into job training programs. We can put it into summer programs. We can do this. We can do that. We could pay teachers more money. Go back to Chicago in 2021. Um, 2020, I think it was 2021, teachers in Chicago went on strike, okay? Teachers in Chicago went on strike. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said they didn't have the money to pay teachers more money, okay? We want to do it, you know, we love our teachers, but we don't have more money. Well, between 2005 and 2015, city of Chicago had to pay out a half a billion dollars in police misconduct lawsuits. Between 2005, 2015, it was something like $512 million, a half a billion dollars to settle. It was about 105 or 106 police misconduct lawsuits, which did not include the $5 million that they had to pay to the family of Laquan McDonald. Well, if you had your police under control, you wouldn't have to pay that money out. You could use that to pay teachers more money. You could use that to do a whole lot of things. So when you have police reform like that, that helps everybody one way or another. So they had to, they had to make these arguments. But I, man, I have all these pictures of white children and white teenagers and white fathers and mothers killed by police, all this stuff. I have, I have, I have all, I have all the, I've showed the videos in the Senate chambers, in the Senate, I have it televised. I'll show the, show the videos of white people being shot and killed by police, dash cam video. They got all that stuff. Why isn't it on CNN, MSNBC? Why isn't it on Fox News? Okay, but if you, but if you think that, See, because you have a lot of white people who say, oh, that's that's just a that's just a black issue. Oh, if they had just complied, they'd be alive. You know, if they just well, uh, Philando Castile complied, he's dead. Officer Yanni still shot his ass. Philando Castile complied. He told the officer he has he's a CPL holder. He has his gun on him. OK, now I don't recommend if you're a CPL holder, you have your gun on you. I don't recommend you carry your wallet on the same side of your body as your gun is because when you go reach for your wallet in your back pocket it may look like you're reaching for your gun he, he wasn't philando wasn't but you don't know what the you don't you don't want the officer to make a mistake that costs you your life so i would advise if you carry your wallet on the opposite side of your body that your gun is on because you may have all the good intentions in the world and you're trying to go for your wallet and give them your driver's license and all this stuff. But 
you don't know the mentality of that officer and you don't want them to make a mistake. So, all right. So check that out. Is it the Washington Post uh, fatal force? Okay. Uh, I was going to show this slide quickly here. So this is uh, some of the things that we deal with in my online class. Um, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in school, but also um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. In 1787, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, prominent uh, African-American ministers in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, formed the Free African Society of Philadelphia, FAS a mutual aid and religious organization, a mutual aid and religious organization. It was non-denominational. The organization functioned as both a mutual aid society and a club where members of Philadelphia's black elite could socialize and forge business relationships with one another. By 1794, the society had become large enough to accomplish its original goal when members built their own house of worship, St. Thomas African Episcopal Church. St. Thomas African Episcopal Church in 1794. In addition to providing assistance to the sick, widowed, and orphaned members of Philadelphia's black community, the Free African Society also extended its help uh, to the city at large. The society's uh, most famous contribution to the city was the, was the help members provided during the yellow fever epidemic in 1793, which killed thousands of Philadelphians, okay? Blackpass.org has some good information on the Free African Society also. Okay, be sure to register for the uh, online history classes that I teach because this helps to support the African History Network as well. Um, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, and uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Uh, we have it here, right here. Okay. So these are 10 week online classes. Sometimes uh, this, this time around, we're going past 10 weeks. We have uh, for Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, we have like about nine weeks already archived. As soon as you register, there's a ton of information, a ton of content for you to already watch. Classes on sale, $60, regularly $130. You go through and watch that this week, and then you can join us in class Sunday, April 24th. We have a live text chat in the class also, so you can ask questions. Uh, you don't have to be present in class if you don't want to. That's fine. You can watch the content anytime. And then uh, Saturday, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. So the class is on sale $60, regularly $130. And we have a uh, a discount also. Uh, we have a bundle pack where you can get both classes for $100. It's right on the homepage of our, of our website. I'm going to post a link here as well. So as soon as you register, you can start watching the content. And uh, you can join us uh, in our next class if uh, you want to join us live. All right, let me post this link here. 
All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people can descend throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Also, the um, uh, the, uh, the Hot P Conference is coming to Detroit. And uh, some new people have been added as well. Uh, April 30th and May 1st. Let me go to this here. Hold on. We're going to put this on our website uh, as well. So this will be up on the website tomorrow. Okay. Um, April 30th, Saturday, April 30th, Sunday, May 1st. Uh, 2022, HAPI presents One Africa Power and Unity Conference. So they're going to be, and I, I'll be there as well. I live right near, it's at the Double Tree Hotel. I live right near the Double Tree Hotel in downtown Detroit. Um, so Dr. Leonard Jeffries, Professor James Small, uh, going to be there. Dr. Rosalind Jeffries uh, added uh, Shaherzad Ali, uh, uh, Riza Islam, uh, Dr. Alicia Watkins. There are going to be presentations from all these people. Professor Kabahai Watha Kamenei, who's one of my teachers as well, he's going to do a presentation. So we're going to have presentations, uh, workshops from uh, these various scholars. Uh, Dr. Mawulana Karinga also. Uh, you can join us in person at the Double Tree Hotel, Double Tree Hotel, or you can register to watch via live stream. You can watch from around the world via live stream also. Okay. So tickets are being 50 to $135. It's a two-day conference. I'll be there. I'll have a vendor booth also. Uh, I may be on one of the uh, panel discussions or something like that. But um, we're going to post a link here also. Okay, here we go. One Africa Power and Unity Conference. So you can register for this. They gave me my own link. Uh, so you can register for this here. So we'll post information right here. All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995. And it delves into the history of African-Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008, and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021, and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human, were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world.
and I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Natori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, they solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with real estate note investing. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing, and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition, and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.